That was, that was a thunderous transition, right? I, th- I think he said my name right as he walked up. I think he said, Elijah. And it, it felt very intimate and very connected, honestly. That was pretty, that was pretty nice. Um, you know, some, sometimes your day goes according to plan. And then, and then sometimes you're, you're in the front lobby talking with people and you're holding your coffee cup and it explodes on you. That was this kind of day for me. I don't know if you see. Uh, Matt saw me walking out of the bathroom right before this and he said, you okay? <laughs> Working on it, Matt, trying to figure stuff out. You know, what's interesting to me is, is the sort of things that get us down in life, the sort of things that are hard for us to go through. Uh, it's like something, you know, something small can ruin your day. You're just, you're frustrated and, and you're ticked off. And then you hear a story and it puts it all in perspective for you. I don't know if you guys know the names Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They were missionaries uh, back, in the, back in the 1950s. They, they graduated college and went down to Ecuador. And their, their whole heart and goal for going to Ecuador as Christians was to reach people who don't know Jesus. And in particular, they wanted to go to tribes of people who had never interacted with the outside world had never heard, had a chance to hear the gospel. And there was one tribe in particular, the Waudani people, but they were known as the Akas, which means savage, because they were so brutal. Anyone who tried to come in, they would, they would kill them. They would end their lives. And, and of course, you know, that's, you know, most of us are, okay, if you're gonna end people's lives, we'll back off. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot said, no, the Lord's calling us to these people. So they spent a long time trying to develop a relationship with these people. They actually had an airplane that would fly over and they would drop down gifts to these people and they felt like eventually they had made a connection. So Jim, along with four other missionaries, actually flew in, they landed on a river and they went on, on the sandbank and they were, they were sandbar and they were waiting there to meet the Indians. And the wives who were back at the missionary compound didn't hear anything for a little bit. They got nervous and sent out a search party and they found all five bodies of the missionaries who had been killed. And they had been killed and, and they had decided, they had a gun, and they had decided ahead of time, if these, these Indians come and if there's, if, there's this, if there's any sort of altercation, we're ready to meet our Lord. They have not had a chance to hear the gospel. We're not going to resist. We're not going to fight back. So all of them were killed. Two years later, Elizabeth, who, who by the way, when Jim was killed, she had a 10-month-old child. Two years later, she had a chance to meet a couple ladies who had escaped who, from this tribe who knew the language. She learned the language from them. And then she had an opportunity, an invitation from the tribe to come to them. And so she, you know, get this, this lady in her 20s with a, now a three-year-old child takes that child along with another female missionary and goes out to the tribe and gets to know them, builds a relationship, lives with them for three years. During that time, she has a chance to come face to face with some of the men who killed her husband and the other missionaries. And she extends grace and forgiveness and love. And because of that, the whole tribe or most of the tribe together makes a decision to follow Jesus and trust in him for salvation. Now, can you imagine being someone like Elizabeth Elliot? Your spouse has been killed, you have a small child, and you still stay committed to going to the people who literally killed your husband and say, I'm going to go, and I'm going to share God's love with them. It's an amazing story of restoration. In fact, one of uh, Elizabeth's children uh, grew up and now has a very close relationship with the man who killed his dad. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus and what he can do in our lives. And what that shows is the power of the gospel to create restoration in relationships. To, to bring together things that are broken, to bring together people who have been pulled apart. 
Now, we're going through the life of Joseph right now in Genesis, and we're looking at what happens in his life. And his life to this point has had a lot of heartache. We ended him where he just, the Lord did an amazing thing, and put him as second in command over all of Egypt. And so he has this powerful position now. But he's still got a past. He's still got relationships that are broken. Can you, think, think about the relationship in your life that's most broken, where restoration seems most likely, for, most unlikely. For most of us, it's a family relationship. Something happened, it's a brother, sister, mom, dad, it's uncle, aunt, cousin. In Mississippi, we got all sorts of people, right? It's like your cousin, who's really your fourth cousin, so they're not really a cousin, but they're still your cousin. But something's happened to rupture that relationship, and, and you, you really think restoration's impossible. Maybe it's a friend, or someone who used to be a friend. And after you pull the knives out of your back that they stabbed in there, you think, they're probably not a friend anymore. And maybe you've come to the point of forgiveness, but have you come to the point of restoration? What would it look like for you in your life, for that person, I'm not talking the abstract, for that person you know to come together with them and restore that relationship? We're gonna look at Joseph's life today and how this takes place with his family. Now, Joseph, like most of us, his issue was with family. Joseph, uh, he, he had more than the normal issues with family. It wasn't about the inheritance. It wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about, hey, you just been a jerk for 20 years. His brothers took him, threw him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery. I don't, I'm like, you have, bad, you have bad family maybe, but it's not that bad. Like, you got some jerks around you, but like they haven't sold you into slavery yet, or at least they haven't caught you yet. How about that? They, maybe they would if they could, right? So, so he had been, he's gone through all this. Now, the Lord's brought immense healing in his life. He actually named one of his kids, Joseph had two kids, he named one of them Manasseh. Manasseh sounds like the Hebrew word to cause to forget. And he said, the Lord has caused me to forget all of that that happened with my family. The Lord had brought healing to his life, but what was still remaining is healing to those relationships. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis chapter 42. We're gonna walk through four chapters today. We're not going to read through four chapters. We're not going to teach verse by verse through four chapters. We're going to go through the story. So we're going to start in, in chapter 42, and you can follow along if you want to in your Bibles as we go. This is how Genesis 42 starts off. When Jacob, that was the dad of Joseph, when he learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I love that. Jacob's thinking, I lost my son Joseph. Don't know, he thinks, he thinks Joseph's dead. And he's thinking, I got left with the idiots. He says, why do you sit around looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So a little backstory here for those of you who don't know the story. Uh, Joseph, so, so Jacob had four wives, okay? Uh, don't, don't do that. That's the teaching point for today. Don't don't have four spouses. And so 10 of the sons were from three of the wives, but the wife he loved most was Rachel. He had two sons by Rachel, Joseph, who he thinks is now dead, who's disappeared, and then Benjamin. And he loves Benjamin because he loved Rachel so much. And last time, his son Joseph, who he loved a lot, went out to be with just the 10 brothers and Joseph. Joseph did not come back. So he doesn't want Benjamin to leave his sight. Verse five, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. 
from the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Now, this seems like an interesting approach for Joseph. He recognizes his brothers. He's in a place of power. He could just say, hey, guys, I'm Joseph. You guys in trouble now. He could say whatever he wants. He could say, I love you guys. He could say whatever he wanted to right now. But he doesn't. And there's a real key reason he doesn't. What he does next is he accuses them of being spies. And because of that, then he puts them in prison for three days. And what this is setting up to be in the story is you're like, Joseph's about to get his pay back. This is like setting up to be a weird like saw number six, right? Where Joseph makes his brothers go through some wacky, crazy stuff. It's like a horror film getting ready to go. But that's not the direction it goes at all. Joseph has them go to jail, prison for three days. But the whole, his whole goal in all this, we're going to come to see, is that Joseph actually desired a relationship with his brothers. Now, it's, it's hard to see that, but as we unpack this story, we'll begin to see it more and more. What Joseph does after three days is he has them come out, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. They had told him they had a younger brother and a dad back home. He says, I think you're really spies. He knew who they were. He says, I think you're really spies, so tell you what, if you guys are being real, you better go back home and bring your youngest brother back to me. Because this was, this was Joseph's blood brother. He really wanted to see his brother Benjamin. He says, if, if you're being real, go back and bring that brother back to me. He says, until then, I'm gonna keep Simeon, your brother. I'm gonna keep him in prison. Now, some commentators, I love this, some biblical scholars, we don't know why he picked Simeon. Simeon's just a random, one of his 10 random brothers. But there's this thought, a lot of biblical scholars think, that he picked Simeon because Simeon was probably the least liked. And so he's gonna, he's gonna say, this is a test. But I want you guys to come back. But if you come back, I want to know you're not coming back just because I picked the favorite brother. So he picked what may have been the least favorite brother. Anybody here, the least favorite brother? Picked the least favorite brother and put him in prison. And, and this is what, what he's doing here is he wants to continue on relationship with them, but he wants to see if they really want relationship. If you have a relationship in your life that needs restoration, the place to start is in your own heart, you need to desire relationship with that person. It's not going to happen if you just hope the right situation comes along. It won't. If you, if you hope you just start getting warm fuzzies about that person you've hated for five years, that won't happen. What has to happen is you have to have a real desire and maybe even a chosen desire. Maybe it's not a felt desire, but a chosen desire to have restoration take place. That's where it starts. And, and restoration is going to start with you. It's not going to start with the other person. It's going to start with you. Joseph, right, when he sees this, chooses, I'm going to seek relationship with my brothers. I'm going to get them to come back to me again, bring another brother with them this time. I'm going to see what I can do to restore this relationship. If he'd come right out right at the beginning and said, guys, I'm Joseph. I love you now. They wouldn't have believed him. They would have been terrified, and they probably would have left and never come back. But what he's doing is he's setting up a situation, a scenario where they'll keep coming back. I had a friend a little while back. And uh, her, her mom found out, her mom knew she was adopted when she was very small, but found out through one of these, these uh, DNA testing services that her brother actually did, that, that they were, that they somehow pool the DNA and will tell you like if there's a match somewhere. And so they found the match, they found their birth dad who was just out living somewhere else. He's in down in Florida. And, she, and they had never met him before, didn't know he existed still. I mean, they knew there was a dad somewhere, but didn't know he was still alive. And they had to really process through, do we even want to see this man? He's not in any real sense, in terms of involvement in their lives, someone that they have a relationship with. 
He's, he's their, their birth dad, and so there's that connection. They had to work through. And, and her brother decided, I don't want to have anything to do with him. But she decided, I desire a relationship. She wanted to see restoration. And so they had to set it up. They, and that, this is a tricky thing. How do you, so they talked on the phone a little bit, and then they just literally just scheduled a date and said, come on over to the house. You're going to have to travel here. And so they actually set it up where the, whole, the rest of the family was outside of the house. They, they weren't around, and it was just... Uh, my friend's mom and her dad coming in. And, and they said they, they were outside the house, but they could hear just the, the laughter and the crying and the joy of them reuniting. But that only happens when you desire a relationship. Joseph desired relationship. He did everything. So, so what he does is he sends his brothers back home, but he keeps Simeon, the, the least favorite one. He keeps him around. And he's gonna see, are they gonna come back for Simeon? Are they gonna bring back my youngest brother, Benjamin, when they come? because that's what he told them to do. So they go back home. What, what they don't know when they go back home is that Joseph took all the silver they had paid for the grain he gave them, and, and Joseph put it back inside their bags. Now, this is the start of the second principle we see in this process of restoration, right? The first principle is that Joseph desires relationship. If you want to be restored in your life in that relationship, you need to desire relationship. But the second thing is that Joseph extended generosity, and so he starts off, right? These are the brothers who sold him into slavery. He starts off the very first thing he does. And when he sends them off, is he takes their silver and he gives it back to them, puts it back in their bags. Now, what's funny is they're terrified when they find it. And they open up their bags when they get home and there's all this silver on top of their grain. And they're like, he's gonna think we stole it from him. He's gonna kill Simeon now. He's gonna kill us now. This is, and they get terrified about it. But what Joseph is starting a pattern of in his relationship with them is extending generosity. Now, here's the first thing you might think when it comes to being generous with the person you need to be restored with. They don't deserve my generosity. And you know what? They don't. And that's why you extend it anyway. Your goal is to be like the human embodiment of Chick-fil-A. Right? Just like, my pleasure, my pleasure. You just want to overwhelm them. You want to confuse them with your generosity. Confuse them with how much you're taking care of them. You want them to just be uncertain of what's going on, but all that's coming from your side is generosity. And this, this is what Joseph chooses. He could have chosen revenge. He could have chosen anger, but he chooses generosity. And we're going to see he keeps developing that. So he sends his brothers home, and, and they've got this silver in their bags, and they open it up and find the silver. And they tell their dad what happened. It's funny. Jacob, their dad, doesn't care about Simeon which tells you Simeon was one of the least favorites. He doesn't say, oh, woe is Simeon, woe is. He's like, okay, we're not sending Benjamin back though. That's his thing. He's like, Benjamin's the last one. He's the only, he says he's the only one left. And all the other 10 brothers are like, uh, dad. Uh, but but he, he cares about Benjamin. So he's like, I'm not gonna send Benjamin. And, and so they're in this place where their dad refuses to let them go back for Simeon. And so they wait, and then finally they run out of grain, and they're starting to starve again. And they come back to their dad, and they're like, Dad, you have to let us go. And so finally he lets them go back. When they, also, it says they took some gifts. I love it. It lists the gifts. Uh, you can go in your Bible and see what it is. But one of the things they take back to Joseph is pistachio nuts. And like, talk about, man, generosity coming back to Joseph. You know how good pistachio nuts are? It's like there are levels of nuts. Peanuts are at the bottom, right? Cashews are pretty good, and almonds are up there, but pistachio nuts are just up here. And part of the thing is, like, you can just eat, the, you can eat a whole bag of them and not even realize it. You can just go for it, but they're also so expensive. 
know what I'm saying? So if somebody brings back pistachio nuts, you know there's some interest on their part in the relationship. So the brothers bring back pistachio nuts and some honey, right, and a few other things. Some says they bring back some, uh, some balm as well, like lip balm, I guess. I don't know what that is. So they bring back some stuff. And, and they show up, and, and the first thing that Joseph has his servants do is take care of them. They make sure they're comfortable. They take care of their donkeys. And then Joseph invites them to a feast. And this is when the brothers, this is the whole confuse them with kindness and generosity kind of part. The brothers are freaked out. They're like, he's inviting us to a feast. He's going to kill us. Something bad's going to happen. Like, you've seen movies. You know what's happening. When someone invites you to a feast and like, I don't know, Braveheart or something, they're going to kill you. That's what happens, right? And so they're, they're terrified coming up. And uh, so, so Joseph invites them up. He gives them so much. And what, this is the interesting thing. They bring Benjamin back their brother, the youngest brother. And, and Joseph gives him five times as much as everybody else. So they bring, I don't know what they ate back then, let's say it was a nice filet mignon or something. They bring whatever it is out and there are five of them stacked on top of each other for Benjamin. Now this is strategic. We're gonna get to the strategy behind this in a second, but Joseph's doing something really interesting here when he does that. But, but the key for us at this stage in the story is that Joseph is extending generosity. He, he keeps showering generosity on them. In college, I did an internship up in Washington, D.C. Uh, I didn't have a place to stay when I was going up there. So I was flying up there, and I had a place to stay for the first night. Now, this freaked my mom out. She's like, I'm sending my baby to D.C., and it's nowhere to stay. And I I was cool. I was like, Mom, if nothing else, I can live on the streets for four weeks. It'll be fine, right? (laughs) And so I'm flying up there. I'm I'm in the airport in Atlanta getting my connecting flight up to D.C., and I get a call from this guy. And this guy... I uh, was like, hey, I've got some friends you can stay with. And I said, who are you again? He said, oh, I, 20 years ago, I went to Virginia Tech with this couple who knows this guy from Kentucky who is your professor at the university you're attending. And I said, sounds legitimate. Okay, cool. So hook me up with these people. <laughs> so I go stay with the people I know for the first night. And then they take me to a gas station. They drop me off at the gas station to meet Kevin and Cindy. Okay, so they drop me off there. <laughs> And they were terrified. Again, I'm like 21. I'm like, it'll be cool. I've seen Taken. I know how to take care of this stuff, right? Like, I know how to do it. But they were terrified. They dropped me off. Kevin and Cindy show up. And they were terrified because they're picking up Elijah. They don't know anything about me. And so they pick me up and we're like eyeing each other in the car. You know, I was like, I think I can take these. They're, they're, they were a little older. I think I can take them. I can do this. So they take me home. They send me down to the basement. It was a finished basement. It was nice. But they put me in the basement. And I live in their basement for four weeks. But let me tell you what, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life because they treated me like family. Every single morning, Kevin would make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for me to take to work. Now, what I never told him is he didn't put enough peanut butter on there. He scraped it thin. And you gotta have a solid quarter to half inch of peanut butter. You know what I'm saying? gotta get the protein in your life. And so I would go back, he would make them and then go take a shower. And when he went up to the shower, I would unwrap it and I would open it up again and add peanut butter. And then I, but I could never tell him because it was so sweet what he was doing. And they treated me, I was literally staying, their son had grown up at that point and left the house. So I was staying in his room, they treated me like a son. And I was, I'm a good Southern boy. And so my mom taught me, you take a hostess gift when you go stay with somebody. So I had a hostess gift for them. And so at the end, I, I bring my little hostess gift up and they threw me a whole party. And they bought me all sorts of gifts. I'm like, why are you guys doing this? They're like, we love you so much. I was like, okay, Kevin and Cindy, that's pretty cool. I'm starting to like you guys. And they just showered generosity on me to the point where it has been years now, and I've not seen them since that moment, but we still keep up to this day because of the generosity they extended, the love they extended. That's the power in a relationship of extending generosity to other people. 
And that's exactly what Joseph did to the people who sold him into slavery. If you want to be restored in that relationship in your life, you have to be the one who desires relationship and extends generosity. And you don't do it based on how much you get back. You extend generosity. I love this. In, in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says this. He says, give food to your enemies and give them stuff to drink. And in doing that, you're gonna keep burning coals on their head. He says, kill them with kindness, right? He's gonna like, give them food to, food to eat and something to drink and take care of them. And that's gonna be what convicts them. And the same is gonna be true for your life. The, the relationship, that, and, and I get it, for some of us, it's been decades, right? To go back at this point and try to restore that relationship is gonna be so hard, but it's gonna start with your desire for relationship. And it's gonna be carried out through your generosity and your generosity and your generosity. The third thing that we see in Joseph's life here is that he creates opportunities for change. Now, my guess is if there's a relationship in your life that needs restored, it's because something's gone wrong. You've done something wrong. They've done something wrong. Probably a bit of both. It doesn't matter who started it. We don't remember at this point. We, we differ on who started it, but we've gone back and forth and back and forth. And in order to restore relationships, we have to create real opportunities for change. Here, here's, here's what I mean. Joseph is, is very interesting here. Remember the first thing he did? He took the least favorite brother, Simeon, and he had Simeon come and stay with him, stay with him in prison, right? And then he said, brothers, if you want to come back, that was the first opportunity for change because it would have been so easy for his other brothers to leave Simeon there just like they left Joseph and sold him into slavery. And he created this opportunity, but then they came back. Now, sure, they needed food. Sure, they were starving, but they came back. And they brought Benjamin, the youngest brother. And this is the next thing he does. Joseph does his best to recreate jealousy in their hearts. This is so interesting. He's got the favorite brother now, Benjamin, and that, 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 uh, that Jacob says, their dad, this is my only son left, right? He's got 10 other sons, my only son left. And he takes Benjamin and brings him back. And all the brothers know Benjamin's the favorite. Dad loves Benjamin more than us. We get it, we get it. And when Benjamin comes to the feast, he gives Benjamin five times as much as everybody else. He is just baiting the brothers to get ticked off and do something. He is, he, is, he is testing them. What he's really doing is creating an opportunity for them to show that they're different now, that they're not the same people. They're not gonna operate in the same way. And what's interesting is that Joseph led with generosity first before he started testing them in this way. He, he's extending generosity to them, but there's still this test here. How are they going to respond? Okay, so this is what happens next. He's testing them. He's creating an opportunity for them to change. They leave, they take their grain, and as they're going, when they're heading out, Joseph tells his steward, he says, hey, take this cup of mine, the silver cup, and put it in the bag that belongs to Benjamin. Benjamin's the youngest, the favorite, is Joseph's brother. Put it in Benjamin's bag. Again, he's creating an opportunity. The brothers leave. And soon after they leave, Joseph sends his soldiers after them. The soldiers stop them. And they say, hey, someone stole our master's cup. And they're like, yeah, uh, that wasn't us. We promise if you find the person it is us, just kill them straight away and imprison the rest of us. They were you ever been confident when you shouldn't have been confident? You're like, eh, that's not us. And then you don't realize you got that bozo back there and it was you. Like you don't, you don't. So they say it's not us. You, you can kill the person who took it and the rest of us put us in prison. And so they start looking. They start with the oldest, Reuben. They look in his, nothing in there. They go down the line, down the line, down the line, down the line. They get to the last bag. 
Benjamin. They open Benjamin's bag, and the cup is there. And the brothers think, uh-oh. Now, this is what Joseph has done. He's created an opportunity for them to say, well, Benjamin stole the cup. Benjamin can take the punishment. We're good. Our hands are clean. We're going to leave. But that's, that's not what he did. That's not what they did. They say, they're, they're, they're confused, and they go back to Joseph, and they begin to plead with Joseph for Benjamin's life. And it gets to the point where Judah, now you guys probably don't remember Judah. Judah was the brother who had the bright idea, let's sell Joseph into slavery. Judah is the worst. He's not the least favored, that was Simeon, but Judah is the guy who really messed up the most in this story. He's the one that Joseph should dislike the most. And this is what Judah says to Joseph. He says, take me as your prisoner and give back Benjamin. Now, this is the guy who sold Joseph into slavery. He's the one who resulted in 13 years of suffering and imprisonment and slavery for Joseph. And Joseph hears him say, take me, put me in prison. Let Benjamin go. And Joseph in that moment knew that restoration had taken place. In your life, you're going to have to have a desire to reconcile, a desire for a relationship. You're going to have to extend generosity. And you're going to have to intentionally create opportunities for change. Now, my guess is you're not in charge of Egypt and you don't have the resources Joseph did. <laughs> but you're going to have to find ways of opening your life back up to this person, of, of being vulnerable, legitimately vulnerable in an area of your life with this person and seeing how they respond. Do they turn it against you again? Or do they not? You're going to have to invite that person into your life and into your family and into your church and into your small group and into what you do for recreation. You're going to have to bring that person back in and begin to see and evaluate. I'm not saying you just open everything back up again for hurt. I'm saying you bring them back in enough to begin to see if that can be restored. And this is what Joseph did. And through this process, what Joseph realized is that God had been working in his life and at the same time, God had been working in their lives. And Judah, the brother responsible for his slavery and his imprisonment and his suffering, said, take me instead of Benjamin. At this moment, Joseph couldn't hold it back any longer. And he says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. And it says they were scared at first. You can see how this would be, right? Oh yeah, I'm the guy you imprisoned and enslaved and all that. And I'm also super powerful now. And I've got lots of soldiers and I can kill you if I want. And they're a little scared. They don't know what his response will be. But this, this is how it ends up. This is how this, this part of the story ends up. If you go to chapter 44, excuse me, 45, and it says in verse 14, and listen to this. I want you, as I'm reading this, to imagine the person in your life you need to be restored with. And imagine this happening with them. Chapter 45, verse 14, then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And then he kissed all his brothers and he wept over them. These are the brothers who caused wreckage in his life. Who for, for the last, this, at this point, uh, he's 37 years old or 39 years old. So for 22 years of his life, he was 17 when he was put into slavery. For 22 years of his life, he's been living in a foreign land. For much of that time, for 13 years of that time, he was enslaved and imprisoned. And he's looking at his brothers now because they've been restored to him. And he kisses them and he weeps 
with them. And then I love how this, this next verse goes. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. Can you imagine that, that, that relationship in your life that's broken, that needs restoration? Can you imagine what it would be like to be able to hug and weep with that person and then just to have a conversation with them like before everything happened? It's been 22 years for Joseph. For some of us, it may have been longer. You're going on 40 years right now. No communication, no desire for relationship, no generosity, and no opportunities for change. And the Lord right now is calling you to be the one to put yourself out there, to desire relationship, to extend generosity and create those opportunities for change. And as you do that, as you pray through it, as you invite the Lord into that process, he can bring about restoration you can't even imagine. He can bring about the kind of restoration where a young 20-something takes her three-year-old child into a tribe that killed her husband. And now members of that tribe are like family. He can do it in your life. You take that family member who hurts you, who knew your most vulnerable point and they exploited it. He can restore you in that relationship. You may not believe it, but Jesus can do it. Here's why I know Jesus can do it. You see, it's often we're reading the Old Testament and we miss out on how God is already preparing the way for his son to come to this earth. This took place in around 1700 BC, 1700 years before Jesus. But already embedded in this story, we see Jesus. And here's where we see it. Judah, the brother who sold Joseph into slavery, offered himself to take the punishment in place of Benjamin. Here's what we know about Judah. Judah goes on to become one of the 12. They name one of the 12 tribes of Israel after him. Judah becomes the royal tribe, David, from David and Goliath. David becomes the king of Israel and a line of people after him become kings over Israel. And it's from the tribe of Judah that Jesus comes. You see, Jesus is a great, 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 keep going for a while grandchild of this man, Judah, who sold his brother into slavery. And because Joseph was there, Judah didn't have to give up his life on behalf of his brother. He didn't have to. But someday, down the road, 1,700 years later, the Son of God came to this earth, and his lineage, humanly, was from the tribe of Judah. And he gave his life. Why did he give his life? To restore humans with God. That's why Jesus came. He came to forgive us, die on the cross for our sins, but one of the main ways of viewing what Jesus did is restoration of relationship. Jesus came to give us access again to God. Through Jesus and his sacrifice, through our faith and trust in him, we have access now to the Father. That's what Hebrews teaches us. We can go to the Father and be heard through Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, and be restored to him. And let me tell you something right now. If you're looking for restoration in your relationships, it probably won't come if you are not restored in your relationship with God. You can do it. You can extend generosity, be that human embodiment of Chick-fil-A. You're doing everything right. You're creating opportunities, and it doesn't happen. Because what God cares a lot about a lot more than you being restored in your human relationships is you being restored in your relationship with him. He cares about it so much he sent his son to die in our place. And so as we come to the end here and we get ready to wrap up, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Who do I need to be restored with? 
Who do I need to be restored with? If there is someone, and for most of us there is, then you need to desire a relationship. You need to extend generosity. And you need to create opportunities for change. Here's the second question I want you to ask yourself. Where do I need to be restored in my relationship with God? And that's where we start. How do you need to come back into relationship with God? I know many of us have prayed prayers for salvation. Many of us have followed God off and on. But right now, God is inviting you not into an off and on relationship, but a constant relationship with him where you can go deeper and deeper with him and be changed from the core of who you are to look more like he wants you to look. You can be restored into that relationship with God. More than anything else, God wants to be in relationship with you. And more than anything else for your life, God wants you to be in relationship with him. So as we go to prayer, who do you need to be restored with? And then how do you need to be restored in your relationship with God?